0: Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the first season of Laurel Canyon Country, uh, the podcast where I'm delving into the history of the country music scene that grew out of the 60s rock and roll scene in Los Angeles, California, and specifically out of the canyons there, Laurel and Topanga Canyon, and that whole area. So, this is episode two, and... um, Well, I guess here we go. So it's 1958 in America, and the country is in the middle of the post-war boom. Gunsmoke and cowboy shows rule the TV, and folk music rules the radio. Elvis had joined the Army in early 1958, and the popularity of rock and roll began to die off with his absence. Groups like the Kingston Trio and the Chad Mitchell Trio are gaining in popularity, And the Kingston Trio's version of Tom Dooley is topping the charts. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley, hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley, poor boy, you're bound to die. These groups were really kind of -of middle-of-the-road folk singers. They were clean-cut college kids singing sanitized versions of songs they had learned from people like Leadbelly Belly and Woody Guthrie. If you'll gather round me, children, a story I will tell About pretty boy Floyd, an outlaw, Oklahoma knew him well Sure, this wasn't the only folk music going on. Plenty of college kids were seeking out the originators of American folk music. Singers like Josh White and Reverend Gary Davis, Woody Guthrie, to string band recordings. It seemed like every kid getting off the bus in Greenwich Village had a guitar or a banjo under his or her arm. And that was the world that Randy Sparks brought his new group, the New Christie Minstrels, into. Randy was a guitarist and folk singer with a keen eye for business. Sparks was mixing folk music with pop standards, playing solo dates up and down the West Coast and occasionally in Manhattan. In 1960, he formed the Randy Sparks Three with his wife Jackie and singer Nick Woods. While he enjoyed playing in the trio, it really inspired him to chase after a bigger, more diverse sound. Sparks ended up forming the 12-member New Christy Minstrels. Their first album, presenting the New Christy Minstrels, released in 1962, featured traditional songs, several Randy Sparks originals, and a cover of Woody Guthrie's This Land is Your Land. The album and the group were an immediate hit. Uh, The group won a Grammy Award and stayed on the Billboard Music Chart for the next two years. The group's second album, The New Christy Minstrel's In-Person, followed in February of 1963, followed by The New Christy Minstrel's Tell Tall Tales in May of 63. Their fourth album, Rambling, followed in June of 1963, which featured the group's first big hit, Green Green, written by Randy Sparks and New Christy Minstrel's member, Barry McGuire. Green, green, it's green, they say, on the far side of the hill. Green, green, I'm going away to where the grass is greener still. On a personal note, one of the things that always amazes me about music from the 50s and 60s, is how often new albums were being released. It was standard practice for a group to issue a new album every six months, and sometimes more often. The rate at which artists were expected to churn out hit after hit is astounding to me, especially in an age now where we may wait years between records from some of our favorite artists. When I was a teenager discovering my parents' record collection, it was full of the new Christie minstrels. I really didn't connect with their music. It was a little too middle of the road and a little too devoid of depth for me. I liked Peter, Paul, and Mary records. I loved the Joan Baez records my mom had. But the minstrels, they didn't quite do it for me. It is worth mentioning the history, too, of the name uh, they were named after an older minstrel group that had performed in blackface in vaudeville shows. The New Christie minstrels never performed in blackface. They shied away from anything that remotely looked like controversial material. But it is worth noting where the name came from, and in some ways, some of the history that Randy Sparks was looking for. Randy was really looking for a group that could perform, tell jokes, do skits, and put on a show. So back to May of 1963. Randy Sparks decides he is no longer going to keep up with the new Christie Menstrual's grueling touring schedule. Sparks stops touring to focus on developing material for the band and opening a nightclub in Los Angeles called Leadbetters, which he intended to use as a training ground for future members of the Christie Minstrels. There was a large turnover in the group, and Randy had already replaced a few singers. By the end of 1963, Sparks had formed the Back Porch Majority to perform at Leadbetter's, which was a way for Sparks to find new talent for the new Christie minstrels. He could take a new singer, plug them into the Back Porch Majority, have them perform at Leadbetter's, and when they were ready, they could get called up to the new Christie minstrels when one of the singers went out sick or decided to leave the group. Sparks also formed a bluegrass group called the Greengrass Group to play at Ledbetter's, and he even hires an out-of-work mandolin player by the name of Chris Hillman to join the group. Like I said, Sparks had an eye for business and marketing. Meanwhile, while Sparks was developing his new groups at Leadbetter's, the new Christy Minstrels were still on the road performing in nightclubs and theaters and making regular television appearances. Their act was more showbiz than folk group, however. The show was well-timed, it was paced out, and meticulously rehearsed. They would do a group number, followed by a solo from one of the female singers, followed by a quick story and a joke that led the male tenor taking a solo back to the group, and so on and so forth throughout the night. During this time, Dolan Ellis was one of the standout male singers in the group. He had a smooth tenor voice and was quite the performer on stage. He was able to hold a crowd's attention, not just with his singing, but also with his good looks and charm. Dolan eventually jumped ship, however, and the new Christie minstrels were now in search of a new tenor. Barry McGuire related in an interview the event that brought the new singer to the group. To quote Barry, he said, The New Christian Minstrels were in Kansas City playing the Starlight Theater, a big outdoor theater, and one evening one of our members, Nick Woods, was out running around Kansas City. He went into a club or a bar, and there was a group in there singing, and he was knocked out. He came right back and got the rest of us. you got to come with me and hear this, he said. So about four or five of us went to the bar to see this guy, and it was Gene Clark, He was part of this folk group. Gene had an intensity and a quiet charisma and focus and a look that was absolutely captivating. He had that little quirky kind of smile and this brooding intensity. You couldn't take your eyes off him. He would just stand there and put his chin down a little bit and kind of look up under his eyebrows at you and just nail you. We need another member in the group at that time. We had a member who was leaving, Dolan Ellis, And we all agreed that Gene was the guy because he sang great and his stage presence was solid. And that's how Gene Clark got from Kansas to California. Gene Clark was born in Tipton, Missouri, the third of 13 children. His father was a musician, and Gene learned to play guitar and harmonica from his dad. After picking up one of the guitars around the house around age 10, Gene was soon picking out tunes by Hank Williams, Elvis, and the Everly Brothers. Gene was an adequate guitarist, but a gifted singer. By the time he was 15, Gene had developed a rich tenor voice and formed a local rock and roll combo, Joe Myers and the Sharks. When Gene graduated from Bonner Springs High School in Bonner Springs, Kansas in 1962, he formed a folk group called the Rum Runners. After just a few gigs with the Rum Runners, he was soon invited to join an established local regional folk band, the Surfriders, based in Kansas City at the Castaway Lounge. The Surfriders were not a Beach Boys-style band, like the name implies, but a folk trio that performed in pirate and sailor outfits to the clientele in the tropically-themed bar, complete with papier-mâché palm trees and beach sand scattered throughout the lounge. After seeing Gene at the Castaways' Lounge, Barry McGuire recruited Gene to take Dolan Ellis' place in the New Christy Minstrels. McGuire offered Clark the job on the spot, and Gene joined the New Christy Minstrels the next day. The next several months were a whirlwind for Gene Clark. He recorded on the title track for the film The Wheeler Dealers, he made his debut on record with the song Saturday night early in the evening all week long sit on the and sing your little song Cry on your pillow when things go wrong and wait for a night. Night. formed at the White House for Lyndon Johnson who's a part of Randy sparks land of Giants show at Carnegie Hall this is a project Randy had Put together combining American folk tales of Johnny Appleseed and John Henry with folk songs about their adventures. Clark was constantly on the road. It was a blur of airports, hotels, and venues. The New Christy Minstrels were one of the biggest groups at the time, but Gene ended up not being a good fit for the New Christy Minstrels. He was a great singer and a fine enough guitar player, but he wasn't the showman that Randy Sparks required of his musicians. On top of that, Gene wasn't content to be one voice amongst nine other singers, performing songs written by other songwriters. Gene also wasn't a good replacement for the charismatic Nolan. Nolan was a dynamic performer with lots of personality on stage. While Gene had a smooth tenor voice and a brooding intensity to him, he just didn't ooze charisma like Nolan did. Gene also didn't go for the skits and vaudeville-type humor of the group. Then, one February day in 1964, Gene Clark heard the Beatles on the radio for the first time. The next tour stop at a diner in Norfolk, Virginia, Gene found a jukebox with Beatles singles. He spent the night filling the jukebox with quarters. He couldn't get enough of this new British rock and roll sound. He had to figure out how they made that sound. He quit the new Christie minstrels the next day and headed to Los Angeles to find some like-minded musicians. The flip side to this story, however, is Gene was probably already on his way out of the new Christie minstrels. Randy Sparks, the leader of the group, was starting to think that Gene just wasn't going to cut it as a minstrel. Gene just didn't have the showbiz thing that Randy was looking for, and Gene may have sensed that, and he probably saved himself from being fired. Back in Los Angeles, Gene began hanging around Doug Weston's Troubadour Folk Club, going to the open mic hoot nights, looking for like minded musicians. One night, some Capitol Records people had showed up, and they were handing out pins and buttons. On the round badges, it showed four little mop-top boys with the words, The Beatles are coming. Everyone in the club that night kind of rolled their eyes and wasn't really interested. What's a Beatle? Except for Gene Clark and a fellow Beatle fan from Chicago, Illinois named Jim McGuinn. The troubadour crowd didn't realize it, but the folk boom was about to end. A couple of footnotes on this particular episode. One would be that one of the stories that I heard about Gene Clark was that he was, in many ways, the one who brought bluegrass and country music to the birds long before Graham Parsons showed up. After reading some books about Gene and reading interviews with him, that's not true. The myth kind of goes that Gene Clark grew up only hearing Hank Williams and bluegrass numbers when, in actuality, Gene was a huge Elvis and Everly Brothers fan. Sure, he heard Hank Williams and even played in his dad's cover band as a kid, but Gene loved the rock and roll just as much as he loved Hank Williams and any bluegrass tunes he had grown up hearing. On a personal note, I went back and listened to a lot of the new Christie minstrels for this episode, and while I think I have a better understanding of what the music of the time was sounding like, especially the popular music of the time, it still wasn't won over. The music was pretty middle-of-the-road, pretty easygoing, a little corny at times. The other thing I think is worth noting is the new Christie minstrels were parodied, and parodied really well, in my opinion in the movie A Mighty Wind by Christopher Guest. If you're not familiar with the movie, I think it's worth checking out and definitely touches on this folk music boom. The next episode of Laurel Canyon Country will focus on Jim McGuinn and how Jim makes it from Chicago all the way to the Troubadour in L.A. So until next time, thanks for listening to Laurel Canyon Country.